Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast Network. Craig Schaub here with George Thomas. And if that means George is here, we are talking movies. George, it's Thanksgiving week. We're recording on a Tuesday. And we still have some big releases to talk about. How are you doing today on a Tuesday night? Uh, I'm on vacation. <laughs> All right. So well, I'm happy. I'm, okay. I'm, just, I'm doing Thanksgiving prep. I'm Okay. I'm, I'm making brine for uh, brining my turkey, and it'll eventually go on a smoker Thursday morning, Ooh. and it'll be spatchcocked and cocked and abused. Okay. And hopefully it'll turn out nice and tasty the way it, it normally does when it's smoked. That I sounds will never very good. Put a turkey in an oven again. I I can imagine that sounds great. What do you smoke it at? What temp? Uh like 225 to 235 if possible okay. what's the cook time on something like that for that big of a turkey you know what you know what the the beauty of spatchcocking and smoking a turkey is no it looks faster okay and it's ju because it cook it, i think enough it cooks cooks faster and it's juicy okay and primarily because of the brine but you know what right. You're also not cooking all the, the natural juices out of it. You know what right. I mean? Right. Okay. Well, I don't think anybody ever thought they would get sound advice from you on cooking, but they do come here to get sound advice on movies. So we are talking about the two major Thanksgiving week releases. Uh, they probably couldn't be any different than, than these. But the first one is Encanto. Um, now, this is a Disney film, so much in the the same vein as Moana and Frozen and all the other Disney movies that you can name off. And you've probably watched 50 times if you're, especially if you're a parent or a kid. Well, this time we go to Columbia, right? George here Columbia. with Pronto. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about this film and what'd you think? Well, the first thing is I'm surprised that it, I'm surprised it's not a Pixar film because that's that, Disney with their, their last few releases Walt Disney's animation studios has lifted the, the Pixar template as far as computer generated an animation. And I thought it was a Pixar, Pixar film based on its look. It's not, right. but it's, it's an original fable for lack of a better term. Right. Um, three or four story writers, including uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who also wrote the music tells the story of a family in possession of a magic candle. And as each member of the family gets of age, the candle imbues them with a certain power. Okay. There is a sister who has superhuman strength, for instance. There is a young boy who can talk to animals. Um, except it skipped one member of the family. And that's our heroine, Mirabelle. And, Ever since the, the candle skipped giving her her powers, it seems as though the magic has been slowly dying. Hmm. And so the, the family's mantra is you, you've, you're giving a, a power. They rip off Stan Lee to a certain degree. With great power comes great responsibility. So they, they serve the community where they're the lead family, I guess, you can say, but the the matriarch of the family is aware that this candle is slowly dying. They don't know what they're going to do. And they sing a lot along the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, standard fable. But, you know, that Colombian backdrop makes it interesting. Um, it, it gives it some extra flavor. It's Lin-Manuel Miranda's music, right. I mean, he's got eight new songs in this film. Mm. Four of them hit big time. You know what I mean? Right. It's not a Hamilton situation, but four of them really, really get you. There's a, a if you remember Be Beauty and the Beast, the um, opening number, Bell, there's a right. similar setup that way with uh, the family Maribel <laughs> or, or Madrigal which kind of rhymes with Bell, but you know what I mean. Right. It's that way. Um, the story is original. I, I appreciated it. I like the voice performances. And it's just, 
typical Disney, except they bring the diversity this time. And pretty soon, I don't know if it's going to happen in three to five years or what. Pretty soon, we won't have to make that statement because it'll be so, so prevalent. It'll just be another movie. But I appreciate the fact appreciate the fact that they did that, and they could have gone for generic setting, blah 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 blah. Yeah. Well, and I I think you bring up a great point that hopefully in four to five years we won't have to worry about saying it's an inclusive movie. It brings to light something that we don't normally see, and I think it's great that a studio like Disney is getting behind that you know, quite, quite a bit, not just with their animated fare, like with soul or with Encanto, um, but uh, also with the Marvel cinematic universe that they've, you know, really kind of pushed a little bit here for diversity. Uh, So it's great to see one of those pillar studios that's actually at the forefront of making sure that we see a variety of faces and voices on screen, whether animated or live action, you know, it's funny, you, you, you bring up Lin-Manuel Miranda, and it seems like we've talked about him about every week this year. Um, he's He's been a very busy guy. Uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, we both enjoyed In the Heights quite a bit. Um, I don't know. I have not seen uh, Vivo, uh, which is a Netflix movie that he was uh, he did some music for as well, an animated film. Um, but here he's got Encanto. Um it just seems like this guy has had a busy year and I looked at his IMDb page and he's only, he's only four years older than I am. So I'm a little uh, sad, (laughs) you know, this guy's uh, 41 years old and he is just rocking it right now in the film world. And any, he just, it's like, he can't do anything wrong. And you know what? You you don't forget tick, tick, boom. Yeah. Yeah. Basically the story of Jonathan Larson and his, I think it's the story of Jonathan Larson and his, his trials and tribulations getting rent made. I don't, so I haven't watched it yet. It's on my to-do list since I have some time off. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's like, I don't, I don't know where this guy gets the time. And and, and it'd be a different story if he was putting out Piffle, but he's not. Yeah. When you you can, when you can put eight songs in a, on a soundtrack and four of them hit it out of the park, you're doing quality work. Yeah. It, it seems as though he's destined, you know, and I, I think you talked about it last week to finish out his EGOT, which would be the Oscar. Uh, he's been nominated prior, uh, but has not won. But at this point, he's going to have multiple opportunities with this film, with the original music. I, I'm pretty sure he'll be among those nominated within the Heights. Um you know, I don't know about Vivo necessarily because I haven't seen it. It's an it was a Netflix kind of a spring or summer release that just kind of snuck in. But Tick Tick Boom could possibly be something there with, you know, whether it's you know directing, who knows, or maybe some music that he might have composed for that. It just, I mean, this guy just like everything he touches turns to gold. And you got to think it's, it's sooner than later he's going to score that Oscar, and it's probably a likely bet this year could be that year. I am sincerely betting on this year. And here's what I admire about him. You know, he's he's been out there all this year, but during the pandemic, and I don't know if you how much you – I know you're on Twitter. I don't know who you follow, but he started to see some backlash in social media. And he yeah, he did. Back and it's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> I, and, and, and it's the inevitable celebrity backlash. Every yeah. every phenom has dealt with it. Right. And it it didn't doesn't necessarily have to be social media. Yeah. It could be mainstream media pushing back. It happened to Michael Jackson. It happened to Prince. Blah 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 right. blah blah. It's happened to every quote unquote great. Right, who's, who's ever graced stage, screen, or or concert hall? Yeah, and it's good that he he knows that he risked being overexposed, and I I appreciate that about him, even yeah. though I don't think he, I think he should do what the hell he wants. Right, <laughs> but I, basically, I, get the, yeah. I get the rationale. Yeah, sort of begs the question though: is 
you know, he's not necessarily the overexposed, like, um, you know, let's just throw a name out there, like Tom Cruise, where he's in every movie or a Jennifer Lawrence was for so long. And, you know, she ended up having to kind of get out of the game for a little bit because she was overworking herself. Um, but he's kind of, even though he's out in the, out in the forefront and people know who he is, he's kind of, sometimes he's behind the scenes, like with Moana or Vivo or here with Encanto, where he's not, you know, the name, you see it at the end credits, but you don't necessarily see him on screen like you did even in the brief time he was in, in the Heights. So is he really, is it, you know, can he be overexposed that way where he's not physically seen all the time on screen? You just see his name at the end of the credits and you hear, you know, a man or a woman singing his beautiful songs. Work with me for a second here. You have written arguably the greatest musical so far of the 21st century. It's won a Grammy. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be not. It's was it nominated for an Oscar? Hamilton. Yeah. It, it wasn't eligible. It was eligible for the Emmys. Okay. It, yeah. He's he, he writes the greatest musical so far of the 21st century. Right. And it's starting to be picked apart for entirely <laughs> stupid reasons. Well, I'm going to say politically correct reasons. Right. I, right. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, some people want to put the issues of 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 200 some odd years ago in black and white right. not using that as a metaphor but they want to simplify the issues of that those men in that era you can't do that um and that's why it's getting picked apart so yeah he, he could be overexposed especially considering the fact that that music with the exception of one song, one song. Yeah. Farmer Refuted is a masterpiece. Right. And you it's eminently listenable. Yeah. You can listen to that 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 album, that cast album, three, four times in a row and not get tired of it. And I have done that. Um, <laughs> obviously, I think some people may have gotten a bit of Hamilton hangover. For lack of a better term. So, yeah. I get that. Um, I will say this, though. And, and it's it's trending in the right direction that he will win an Oscar. I really think in with Moana, he probably should have won for How Far I'll Go. Terrific song. Um, better than anything. And I like Frozen. And I, I know you're not a huge fan of Frozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but How Far I'll Go is the best Disney song probably you know since the heyday well not heyday the golden era of those just classic 90s films and and, and late 80s films where it seemed like disney could do no wrong i mean it really i mean the, the music in moana is fantastic and i'm excited as you're talking about in the because i can only imagine the songs are, are are terrific there as well but um yeah you know i think it's a good bet maybe that he'll at least be nominated probably multiple times because Encanto could score a nomination. He could certainly, you know, generate nominations for Vivo possibly, or at least in the Heights. And then who knows about Tick, Tick, Boom. But uh, I I would guess that there's got to be some original music to that film as well. Um, So the sky's the limit for a guy that's only 41. And at this point, doesn't seem like he can do any wrong. And of course, Next up, you know, it's right now he doesn't have anything on the in the horizon now, but he does have Little Mermaid, um, which I believe will be the live action Little Mermaid for 2023 that he'll be composing music for. So I can imagine that uh, he'll probably have some other great tunes for that film as well. But what about, you know, with Encanto? Obviously, you know, Disney's had a tradition of incorporating music into a lot of their things. Um, you know, does this does this fable that you talk about, does it... Uh, you know, does it stay the course and create a good, you know, entry into the Disney universe here of movies? Uh, without a doubt, in my opinion. And there will be a new princess named Mirabelle <laughs> in Disney parks. Okay. Well, that's and, exciting. And I'll sit back and enjoy. I mean, it's it's a really heartwarming kind of journey. And there's some great voice work there 
too, especially John Leguizamo. Yeah, I saw he's in the cast, so that should be fun. Well, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to see this. It's a nice uh, holiday entertainment, which is kind of what you would come to expect, that Disney is always going to have something in that Thanksgiving window. Um, obviously, they're, I, I mean, Disney churns them out pretty consistently, but I think they're also sort of selective about what they bring to the table, especially around the holidays. I know Frozen was a holiday film. Moana. <laughs> <laughs> Why do, I, I forget. Why don't you like Frozen? Because the mu- the music is mediocre. Oh, okay. The story just did not, except for that ending, the story didn't resonate with me. It yeah. really didn't. Okay. I didn't need a cute talking snowman. <laughs> I, I I really, it, 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 if there's such such a thing as over Disney-fying something, mm. Frozen was it. Yeah. And I I was absolutely shocked. That that film did did the business it did. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I will say this. I had no expectations going into that movie. And I remember my wife and I were at a movie and we saw the very, very early teaser trailer to that where I think Olaf is, um, I don't know if he's like playing with the, um, whatever that reindeer, the reindeer's name um, in the on the pond, the frozen pond, and they're like going back and forth on the pond it was like a 30 second teaser i mean it it did not show anything and i'm like this movie looks like it's gonna be terrible and then a year later you know you finally start looking at it and then you watch it i like the music was really catchy um the story yeah maybe overly disney-fied but um you know olaf was a bright spot although maybe at times a little annoying but that was his job so, you know, I liked Frozen. I thought it was better than Frozen 2. I think Frozen 2 was the ultimate kind of cash grab, although it looked gorgeous and had some good songs. I think Frozen 2 was that, you know, lesser of the two. But um, I still like Frozen. Mm. Not my favorite. Not my favorite, um, especially of the recent Disney fare. Like Moana is probably my favorite out of all those kind of recent Disney movies, at least that the ones that stands out to me off the top of my head. But um, maybe Encanto will be that movie. I'm, I'm excited to see it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure my wife will want to see it too, which is good. Cause I don't think she's going to want to see the next film on our list here, George. Uh, that is house of Gucci. Now there's a lot of, uh, you know, pomp and circumstance coming into this one, you know, Ridley Scott's directing, you've got Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jared Leto, I mean, Selma Hayek. I mean, this is a who's who of casting. So kudos to the casting of this film. But I've heard some very uneven things about House of Gucci. Now, this is Ridley Scott's second film in the last three months, with the last duel being, a, I think it was a September release. Um, what about House of Gucci? Where do you fall on this? Do you love it or hate it? You know what? My review runs tomorrow. Okay. And um, I um, gave it a B, so I liked it. But thinking back at it, I really wish I could up that now. Oh, okay. To an A minus because, you know, he's done something similar to this film before. Um, the counselor? That would be all the money in the world, is oh, it? Oh, okay, okay. I mean, he he's taking a look at this upper crust, corrupt kind of right family dynamic before, right? Um, and I I like that movie, but see, I like this movie a lot better, and the casting is brilliant. Lady Gaga gives a an Oscar nomination worthy performance, right? As does. Believe it or not, Al Pacino. <laughs> really? He could he could get nominated supporting. Okay. Or more than likely, who, who comes out with a supporting nomination from this movie is Jared Leto. Okay. Because, you A, you don't recognize him. Tremendous makeup job. Right. But he is so deep in his character. Yeah. That I was sitting in my seat wondering... Who the hell is this actor? Okay. Now, for for the uninitiated, it follows the story of of Patrizia Reggiani. She can't use the the Gucci name anymore. 
Um, a, um, you know what? I, I like the amb ambiguity here. You're never really sure what she is until she, well, you get an inkling of it. Right. Until she gets into the Gucci family. She meets Maurizio Gucci at a party, talking to him. He's playing at being bartender just for her, just as a, a joke, offers to make her a drink. And he just introduces himself as Maurizio. She introduces herself. And she goes, well, Maurizio what? He goes, Maurizio Gucci. And then... That's when it goes on for Lady Gaga or, or P Patrizia, because I swear I saw dollar signs in her eyes. <laughs> I really did. Now, her, her, Maurizio's father, played by Jeremy Irons, doesn't approve. He can tell what, what his son is getting into. Right. And he told her he could do several things. He could date her. Um, a, a verb, a, vul, a vulgar verb for sex. Right. <laughs> Do that with her. We'll keep um, that out or, of the, yeah. Or, you know, he could he could do whatever. But he said, if you marry, I'm going to cut you off. Well, he cuts him off. Okay. And swoops Uncle Alfonso, Aldolfo, Al Pacino, who's been trying to get Maurizio into the Gucci business, the high fashion business, sees an opportunity and he also sees an opportunity you know, to mend fences, have have Maurizio and and Rodolfo, his father, mend fences. When Rodolfo eventually dies, you know Gucci at one point was a privately held company. Right. When his father dies, Maurizio gets half of the company, and there the dollar signs really go on in Patrice's right. eyes. And it's a it's a story of the rich, rich backstabbing the rich. Right. <laughs> and it, it's funny because walking out of the the theater, the person I w was with didn't didn't really care for the movie, and she's like, "Well, who's going to care about that? It's just rich people doing things to rich people." Right. And I'm like, and, and, and you know what? They had a point, but the one relatable character. For the briefest of moments, what's Patrizia? And you, you could tell why this 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 young lady of modest means would want to marry into this family and grab as much as she could. Right. It, it deals with her obsession with attaining that power, her relationship with a psychic, a TV psychic, that eventually turns into something extremely sordid. And it's... If you're going to this movie expecting a a straight out drama, don't. Right. Because I think I think Ridley Scott is playing this more for last than than anybody realizes. And the cast yeah. go for it, they go for it, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think that's what I've been hearing is that I think when I envision this, and especially too, like some of the early press screenings. Um, for people who may or may not be really great, legitimized critics like yourself, were saying it was Godfather-like. And I, I've heard, I've seen so many things written about this that it is not tonally at all near that level. It's not, not, no. not saying that it's the Godfather movie-wise, it's just tonally not even the same tone, so there's no chance that it's the Godfather. And I think what you're saying here is is what I've been hearing is that if you can buy into the tone that Ridley Scott is going for, you're probably going to love it. If you don't buy into the tone, which is maybe this funny, whether it's intentional or unintentional or a little bit of both, and maybe a little bit of that, you know, satirical look at this, you know, power versus power dynamic you know, you might not like it then. So, you know, I, I guess it's it's how you come into it and, and if you decide to let it wash over you and be what it is, or if you were expecting it to be this epic crime drama like Ridley Scott has produced before with, say, American Gangster and others, then maybe you might be a little disappointed. Is that fair to say? 
that's fair to say because there is a certain level of absurdity to this right right and it's like and, and once i realized it the movie got much much more enjoyable and it's a two and a half hour film right so if you're sitting there squirming because you're not appreciating what's on the screen and you know it's two and a half hours you're suffering i didn't suffer at all it's it's it is what it is and it's most of the time it's it's funny it's relatable in the fact that you like i mean if, if you're into classic stuff you know what i mean yeah. if you like seeing bad rich people get a comeuppance you're you're you you're you're going to be able to relate to this on at some in some degree. Right. It's that simple, and the performances are absolutely fantastic. From from Adam Driver, like I said, Lady Gaga is nomination worthy. Jared Leto is <laughs> Jared Leto is just fantastic. Al Pacino is you know. He he knows where he is in his stage of, of his career, but it's like he brings it too. And so does Jeremy Irons. Yeah. And it's like I he deserves Ridley Scott deserves kudos for just putting that cast together and topping it all off in a in a supporting role. Did you I don't remember we I know we've talked about Boardwalk Empire? Yeah. Okay. Um, did you watch it or no? I have not seen all of it, but I have watched, you know, a handful of episodes here and there. What was one of the most, who was one of the most unappreciated characters in that series? If you could go by what you, you remember from it. Well, um, it's, it's been a while since I've seen some, I mean, Steve Buscemi was fantastic in that series. Um, I don't know that I would say he was un uh, his character, although was underappreciated. But maybe you could shine some light on who you're thinking about. There was a character. He was uh, a, a, a war vet, a sharpshooter with a di di disfigured face. Character's name was Richard Harrell, okay. and he worked for Nookie. It's like he had a, a Phantom of the Opera mask for, for half of his face. Okay. And the actor who portrayed him is in this movie. Okay. And it's a subtle, subtle performance that's absolutely steal. Jack Houston is the actor's name. Okay. It just, it just steals scenes, and he's not even trying. You know what I mean? Right. He's got that kind of presence, that kind of power that you notice him. And, and, you wonder what the heck is this guy up to? What what is he playing at? And I've been a fan. I haven't seen him in anything since Boardwalk Empire. Okay. Well, he was in the uh, horrific 2016 Ben Hur remake, or whatever no, you want to call what that was. <laughs> he was he was the uh, title character. Yeah, I don't know if anybody saw. Him. <laughs> that movie that was a uh a train wreck but yeah yeah i mean i always like when you see those character actors that you know they finally get maybe more of a chance to shine or at least uh you know get to work with a, a director you know the caliber of ridley scott but I, you know i did want to ask you know ridley scott we've kind of talked a little bit about him before um i i once said several months ago and i have a good memory that um you know, there's good Ridley Scott and then there's bad Ridley Scott. And you said, what's the bad Ridley Scott? And I said, Gladiator. And you kind of scoffed at that, the idea that Ridley Scott's Gladiator was not uh, the movie that I apparently don't think it was. I just, I don't believe that that movie was all that great. Um, Russell Crowe was good. There was a lot of drama and tension, but it was just kind of a Debbie Downer. Like the entire time you're just like, I just want someone to end his life because he's so depressed and it made me depressed. George, what am I missing about Gladiator? It was a film about honor and ultimately just, it, and oddly enough, that's what it shared with the last duel. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a film about honor and, and let's face it and grief. 
and dealing with that grief. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes you just can't handle the grief. He channeled it the only way he knew he could and got his revenge. And, you know, he, 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 he found his peace eventually. So that's what I appreciated about it. Yeah. It certainly wasn't the gore. Cause I think, you know, by now, now I'm not particularly right. into the gory stuff. So yeah, that's what, it, that's why I say I, I appreciate that film. Yeah. I mean, I had nothing, there was nothing wrong. I think it was for me, what failed it was everything around it. It wasn't Ridley Scott's direction. It wasn't any of the performances. Everything was top notch. I think it was probably just that script. I mean, I, I, I love Jaiman Hansu in that film. Um, you know, Joaquin Phoenix was the under this get under your skin villain. Everything around it should have made it just a, and it, I look, I mean, I'm probably one of the few people that didn't like it. I mean, it's a five, five time Oscar nominated film. And, and certainly, you know, some of that it was deserved, but I think overall just, it didn't work for me because of that, just that depression that it just, there, there wasn't like some sort of this, you know, glean of hope that you could just like latch on to and say, there's a little bit of redeeming hope quality in this film. It just felt like everything was dreary and just wanted you to like, leave the theater wanting to be depressed the rest of the day. And I didn't, I didn't want that from, you know, Ridley Scott. I mean, you know, he is a terrific director and at 83 years of age, I mean, the man is still producing at a high clip and he's done some, I mean, you know, everybody might know him from gladiator. Um, you know, obviously he did Robin hood like almost a decade ago now. Um, Alien American Gangster is a terrific crime drama. I will even say this: one of my favorite sort of under the radar Ridley Scott films is Matchstick Men, which Nicolas Cage is, gives, gives a great performance as a con artist who gets conned, unfortunately. But Matchstick Men was a very underrated because some people say that Scott can't really blend comedy with drama, and I think he did pretty well there with Nicolas Cage having a lot of those tics and obsessive compulsive disorder. And, and kind of blending it in with why he does certain things or whatever. I just, you know, Ridley Scott is a terrific director and it's not nothing wrong with, you know, having a, a couple of misses and many, many, many firing, you know, on all cylinders, like Prometheus was a great film. I, I really thought that was underrated. Um, the Martian was also very funny and, and very poignant and very dramatic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, Ridley Scott, I'm not, I'm not afraid to see anything, even if it's, you know, Gladiator. I probably would give Gladiator another shot. I've, I've caught it a few minutes here and there uh, when I've seen it on TV over the years, but I've never really, you know, finished it all the way through in one sitting anymore. But, um, you know, he's got Gladiator 2 coming out. Are you Do you care about Gladiator 2 and, and you know, getting into this uh, pre-production stage? You know what? I, I, I know there is... It's it's rare nowadays that I'm quote unquote look forward to a movie. Right. I walk into a theater now and it's like, oh, let's see what we got with this one. Okay. And it's like, uh, you know, there there came a point uh, when they they moved me off the the film the critics beat full time in 2007, where I just didn't care. Right, I was burned out. Yeah. So, you know, I, my son will try and talk to me about what's coming out. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, we'll see when I see it. Right. So do you tend to, you know, I, I've always been intrigued by, you know, how some critics may want to, you know, digest as much information about a film before they go into it. Some don't want to see anything about it. They don't want to see trailers. They don't even want to know. Like, for instance, here earlier, you know, you you weren't aware that Jeremy uh, or uh, Jared Leto is in the film. And I mean, I know that because I'm like, oh, you know, who's in this film, you know, and then Jared Leto there and they show pictures and you see things on Twitter about Jared Leto and House of Gucci and you see photos attached to it. Are you do you try to black out all of that stuff going into a film so there's no preconceived notions? Um, I'll watch a trailer. Yeah. Oh, there have been times I've watched a trailer and been pissed because too much has been given away. Yeah. Um, 
I think we we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I don't read source material. Okay. Um, like books, it's very rare. I've, I've, I've the lone exception I can remember that is the Harry Potter books, okay. because I enjoyed the books so much. Right. And I had by that when by the time I got into that series, I'd forgotten how much I used to love reading fiction because right. I read a lot, but it's generally current current events and current affairs and politics and stuff like that. Right. But but that was the last time. So I prefer to generally go in mostly blind. I might know it's based on a book, but that's about it. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, obviously Ridley Scott still, you know, a fine director, probably, I mean, he's probably going to be a little short this year, Oscar season wise. When it comes to the last duel in House of Gucci, do you think, or is it possible that you know House of Gucci with the star power might squeeze its way into a Best Picture nomination if there are ten Best Pictures? If there are ten, I'd certainly think it's possible. The problem is, and, and mind you, the, the movie does have problems. The timeline is a bit jarring because you don't exactly know when and where you are. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah, that can be a bit disconcerting, but. I, I could easily see it making that top 10 if there are 10 nominations, okay. 10 nominees. Um, well, you know, obviously this is his second movie of the year, and it's not all that rare, but it's not usually all that common for a director to have two movies in one year, um, but especially with two fall releases. Now, his other release was The Last Duel. Um, that movie absolutely bombed at the box office. I don't think House of Gucci is going to bomb the same way. Uh, but the last duel really struggled. I mean, we're talking $10 million domestically and it's been out now for well over a month, uh, worldwide, only $27 million total. That's not a good sign for a movie that probably likely had a hundred million dollars. Sorry about that. You know, dogs barking. Um, but But um, ten million dollars domestically, twenty-seven million total. Um, not a very good box office return on a movie that probably had a hundred million or so budget. What, what did you make of the bombing of the last duel? Why do you think it failed? I think part of it goes back to that sword and sandals thing you mentioned earlier with mm -hmm. Gladiator. Right. I really do. Um, I think. A big part of it is not a lot of people are ready to go back into theaters, given our current circumstances. Sure. And that was theatrical only. And yeah. you know what? As much as I hate to say it, I think, I, I think as much as I like the Marvel films, I think there's that mindset when it comes to film going now. Right. Where... Everybody wants the big tent pole where yeah. everybody wants to see the big blockbuster. Um, I mean, you saw Ghostbusters did decent business. Yeah. Um, part nostalgia, but it's also, in a, without a pandemic, that's a summer release. And I think it was originally slated for the summer of 19 or 20. Summer of 20. Yeah. yeah. So it's a combination of things. But the big one is, that if we're being real, I don't think there is a great appreciation, and I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully, <laughs> for the art of storytelling and filmmaking anymore. Right. You... I don't I don't think we're gonna see a lot of 40 50 million dollar movies anymore yeah I, I really don't and that's yeah. that's too bad because those are the ones that really hit usually hit home runs I'm sorry yeah. I don't necessarily have to be blown out of my theater seat every time I go to see a movie I I, I yeah. want some story I want great performances. And I'm not trying to disparage the MCU or the DCEU or any of this. 
but you know, Marvel movies now are down to a formula. They really are, especially right. especially when it comes to um, origin stories. Um, yeah. What made Shang-Li interesting was that the Asian influences. That was the most interesting aspect of right. Shang-Li. Otherwise, it was typical Marvel origin story. Right. So. Well, you know, you mentioned the there's no there's none of those like in between movies made. And I think we kind of talked about that um, over the summer when we uh, talked about No Sudden Move, the Steven Soderbergh film, which, you know, you had talked about and I had talked about as being one of those movies that pre streaming and all the, the need for content would have been one of those fall releases that had a 40, 50, 60 million dollar budget probably wouldn't have made a huge amount of money, but you know, that's one of those things where they just give it to you on streaming. And, and that's, you know, those are the types of movies that kind of get killed a little bit. And maybe the last duel, even though it did have a huge, you know, a hundred million dollar production budget kind of got, you know, you know, those movies are kind of long forgotten. And I think you're right. You know, you, you get, you know, sort of coddled with these DCEU and these Marvel universe movies or, you know, Mission Impossible or James Bond or some of these other tentpole franchises that you sort of lose out on The Last Duel or A Gladiator. And you, it's been so long, it seems, since we've seen a, a studio really say, we're putting the money behind it. Go make your swords and sandal epic. And we know you're probably not going to make that money back, but go do it anyway. Well, they don't do that anymore now. It's not, or at least not as frequently. Yeah, and and, and 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 let's go back to a point you made. Streaming. I'm sorry. Yeah. The guy who heads Warner Brothers right now and temporarily because of, of the upcoming merger, I never have to see him head a movie studio again. Right. Because he screwed the entire dynamic up. I am tired of hearing... And I'm going to sound like bitter, grumpy old man. Younger people say, oh, it's not, it's not streaming. I, I'm not going to, I'm not, okay, fine. Right. Whatever. Wait then. Yeah. Just, just wait. And if you really think that this, this theatrical to, streaming thing is going to last. I wouldn't be shocked if it went theatrical and they tried this, but they've got people hooked on watching in their homes. Now they've yeah. got that audience. I wouldn't be surprised to see it go theatrical, then pay-per-view at home, then yeah. streaming. And yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't blame Hollywood one iota for that. Because what's going to happen is audiences are going to expect those big Marvel blockbusters, big blockbusters in, in general. And the economy of scales were just streaming only doesn't work for those movies. They right. just don't. You've, I don't know if you've read stories, but already the, the momentum that Disney Plus has had towards acquiring subs subscribers has begun to slow. And it's worried yeah. Wall Street. The, you, there's a finite audience willing to pay for this stuff. Then you have churn, left and right, where people are rotating through services. And it's yeah. like, you don't get to make $200 million blockbusters what the audience wants when all you got is streaming money. Yeah. Well, Ridley Scott, the reason why we bring this topic up, Ridley Scott said the last duel bombed primarily blaming millennials uh, in this uh, sort of uh, cell phone era, people growing up on their cell phones. Now I take a little bit of umbrage to that being a very older scale millennial at age 37. But I will say that not everybody my age is going to be like, yep, it's the new Ridley Scott movie. Can't wait to see it. So I get that. And I think, I think he knows that he, I will say this too, though, 
I think he knows that a movie like that probably isn't going to have, even though it's got Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and, and Adam Driver and Jodie Comer, and people know those people. And, you know, they were even pushing the narrative of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon together for the first time, you know, since Goodwill Hunting. And then, of course, you've got, you know, Adam Driver, who's sort of the it guy right now in Hollywood. But at the end of the day, even those people in that film are not going to save the perception of what it looks like, which is the swords and sandals, old era, people don't know what to expect out of it. Now, if you put all three of those people in a futuristic green screen movie, you probably would have had a, a huge profit off of it. But I think it was the idea that no matter who was cast in that movie, I don't know that it was going to be saved. And everybody said, well, you've got Kylo Ren, you've got Batman, and you've got Matt Damon in the film, and you can't sell that to an audience. I think it probably does say a lot about the the moviegoers and the people that go to the movies at this point. But that movie, to me, wasn't really... Do you really think a movie like that, despite the stars of it, was really marketed and really meant for people under the age of 30. I mean, cause I don't really think a movie like that movie is meant for disposable income families, adults, adults that have the money to go pay that the other people are going to go see, you know, well, that was, you know, a little bit before Eternals, but they're going to save their money and go to Eternals or they're going to go to whatever else that, you know, a Venom was out that previous week from the last duel. So you know, I, I don't think I think Ridley Scott's a little like get off my lawn grandpa here, but I understand what he's saying and I understand the frustration because I think if you even in Ridley Scott, if he makes these movies that don't get box office, then that's maybe less movie that they're going to give him for the next one. Like he's got the Napoleon uh, Bonaparte uh, biopic with Joaquin Phoenix coming up. And that's, you know, that's probably something he wants to make sure that he gets the money that he needs to make the movie that he wants to make, you know, and I get that. I completely understand where he's coming from. And I think there's some validity to it. I just think that a movie like the last duel bombed because it, it wasn't going to get those young audiences that maybe are more inclined to go to the box office right now versus the older crowd who may shy away from it because of COVID. Let me ask you something in all sincerity, who under 30 knows who Matt Damon is. <laughs> That's true. Well, Who under, uh, you know, it was what six years ago. He had The Martian. I mean, you know, no, that... no, 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 no. <laughs> wonder, except accepting Batman, but you know, uh, I'll give you. Who knows who Ben Affleck is? Right now, he's Jennifer Lopez's boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, no, I don't disagree with that. Man, do you think anyone? Most, I won't. Most. I'd say a good portion of people under 30 could not name a current influential director, let alone someone of Ridley Scott's stature. Right. They just don't look at movies like that. When you, even though you're almost 20 years younger than I am, I have a feeling that more than once in your life you said, hey, Spielberg's got a new movie coming out. I want to go see that. <laughs> yes. Do you do you do you really think that happens? No, it's it's there's a new Marvel movie coming out. I want to see that. Yeah, yeah. Who's directing? Who cares? It's a Marvel. No one cares. Yeah, you're right. You are right. You are. It, it's sad but true, and I think a lot of it's because of the big machine has has pushed out all these superhero and and I like superhero movies, and I know you do too, and you've liked quite a few of them over the time that we've talked. Um, and there's but nothing not wrong with that. But we need everything the way it has been and can be where we get movies like The Last Duel that make enough money to where the studio says, yep, we're going to keep churning out a movie. About like, I can't, I mean, I know there's been some scattered, you know, releases, but, you know, war movies are like that a lot where, you know, you're putting a lot of money into it and you're probably not going to make a ton of money in return. I mean, the last real and I'm probably wrong in saying this, but the last real war movie that I can recall seeing was probably Hacksaw Ridge. And that was marketed with a young actor like Andrew Garfield. You had Mel Gibson behind the camera. 
So there was a little bit of cachet behind it. Fury. Okay, Fury, yeah. And but I, it's, it's few and far between, though, does it? I mean, right. those movies, because in, well, I guess 1917 was, you know, you know, it something. Was, what was that, 24 hours in a war? Yeah. Basically, yeah. But Dunkirk, I mean, Dunkirk's probably the one that's been like ultra successful, maybe at the box office. But even then, it wasn't like that movie just made money hand over fist for Warner. So, you know, it's, I think you're getting into that now instead of just being the war movies that were impacted, where you only gave specific directors the $150 million to make their war picture. Now it's, trickling down into the swords and sandals at, you know, epics it's trickling down into, like you said earlier, the 40 to $50 million dramas that just can't get made because there's no audience for it anymore. It's sad. It really is sad because that's when you lose out on a lot of those hidden gems or a lot of those movies that come out of nowhere and, you know, maybe make somebody a star on the, on the screen or maybe make a director, the next it director. And that those are the types of movies that are being pinched now because of this. And, you know, that's why Ridley Scott probably doesn't maybe care as much about the last dual bombing because he's 83. They're going to give him money no matter what studio he wants to shop around to. And it it wasn't like, you know, the last duel said, well, we're not going to give you that Napoleon Bonaparte biopic now because your movie tanked or we're not going to give you gladiator two money because you know the last duel tanked but this is this is going to impact anybody else that might have a great idea like the green knight came out but you wonder if a movie like that would have come out next year or two years from now knowing that the last duel just bombed now, i know they're a little bit different but they're in that same sort of swords and sandal genre and you kind of wonder if movies like that you know studios want to you know, pump them up with magic or whatever they want to do to, to try to enhance the appeal to the younger audience. And that's, those are what we're losing. And I think we're going to continue to see that if Don't more and more me. movies like The Last Duel bomb. Don't depress me. Just, no, <laughs> now I'm gladiator. I'm depressing now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, thankfully... Um, I don't think House of Gucci, I don't know what the projections are for House of Gucci, but I have a feeling if, if people are going out to the box office, if they're going out to the theaters this weekend, I think it's a pretty safe bet. Even though it's a two and a half hour R-rated movie, I have a feeling that they want to see all the what's all the fuss about Lady Gaga's performance and, you know, Adam Driver and Jared Leto and, you know, you're, you're back to your point about who knows who Matt Damon is under the age of 30. You could probably say that for who under the age of 30 knows who Al Pacino is, or at least, Boy, howdy. you know, who knows the good Al Pacino, um, you know, great actor, you know, generational talent Al Pacino. So, but um, I think, I think House of Gucci is probably going to trend in the right direction. And, and hopefully, because that's another one of those movies where it's Ridley Scott. It's an interesting story. you got a great cast, but you kind of wonder if a movie like that bombs, are you going to see movies like that where they're not some action epic and they're just an actor's actor type of movie with a little bit of, you know, unique plot? Those movies might go by the wayside. Oh, I agree. But they, maybe they play the long game with House of Gucci and hope for a ton of awards, year in yeah. awards, and, you know, let it do what it's going to do, see what happens award season, and throw it back out there. Yeah. Okay, it's possible. Um, obviously, a uh, couple of good movies from you here this week, George. What do you have coming up next week? I know next week's sort of a strange schedule, but I wanted to see if you had anything uh, on the docket for next week. Uh, you know what? I know there are a lot of uh, limited releases, including one that I'm very interested in seeing, Licorice Pizza, the new Paul Thomas Anderson film. I missed the screening for it. Oh. I had a conflict. Oh. Um, and I don't even know that it's opening in Northeast Ohio. Yeah, it's very limited. I'm sure P.T. Anderson movies never usually get a very uh, wide release to start. They usually get like New York, L.A. You know what? This is that typical funky week Yeah, in Northeast Ohio for the holiday movie season in that there's nothing the first week of December. Okay. For as long as I've been doing this, that's the way it's been. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, I know West Side Story is looming. That's uh, well, I shouldn't say this, but it's the new Spielberg movie, right? You know, um, there you go. Obviously, obviously, kids under the age of thirty will be like, "Who?" But exactly. um, yeah, but uh, certainly uh, very interested to see that. Um, okay, well, I'm sure we'll figure out something maybe for next week, or maybe we can take a, a week off, but we'll figure something out. Um, George, are you streaming anything? What are, what are you, you know, you have a week off, obviously you're getting the turkey ready, but are you, are you watching anything while you have a chance to kill some time? I am going to watch Tick, Tick, Boom. Okay. And I'm going to check out, uh, the rest of Cowboy Bebop. Have you liked that? That's gotten some mixed response. So I, um, I watched the first episode. I'm, okay. I don't binge. I watched right. the first episode, and it, there was enough there to make me go back. Okay. So we'll see how it yeah. how it how it unfolds. I have watched Red Notice. Is it? Oh yeah, the the raw or Dwayne Johnson and uh, Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot. Yeah, horrible, yeah. horrible movie. Right. Entertaining is all Get Out. <laughs> I'd give it a, a D minus, but it was entertainment. Entertaining. <laughs> I can't I can't deny that, but you know, um yeah. and there's a series on Paramount Plus called The Mayor of Nighttown that's got me hooked. Yeah. So there'll be a new episode there. Okay. But beyond that, that's that's it. Okay. Well, I will say that I, I was I'm with all the, the stuff we're going through here, getting ready to move and going to Tennessee back and forth, you know, looking for places to live. It has been a struggle to watch things. I finally, on Sunday, the very last day I had an opportunity on HBO Max to watch Dune. So I watched Dune because I just, I needed to get to it. I was like, I, I, I told my wife, I've got to watch it. She actually watched it with me, which I was kind of surprised about. Um, but um, I did finally get a chance to watch Dune. Um, still might look for it in theaters to watch it again and, and see it in the, the theatrical release. But um, I was thankful to watch Dune. It was a, it wasn't, it wasn't perfect, but it was a nice little world builder kind of part one to kind of set things up for the, you know, sort of a franchise, if you will. Of course, you know, here we go again talking more franchises, but at least this one has some ideas and has, you know, a little bit more than just the over the top action to go with it. So I was a fan of Dune. I liked uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune. It was oh, better than David Lynch's Dune. The, the 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 worst thing about that movie is it left you wanting more. Yeah. Best yeah. thing of that movie is it left you wanting more yeah. because it, it ended at the moment where it really started to slip into gear. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It was getting ready to get good, and then all of a sudden, oh, wait two years. So yeah. Now I I I caught myself there. I said you know it was better than the David Lynch's Dune. And everybody out there probably listening under the age of 30 would be like, who's David Lynch? Never mind. He's a film director. Um, <laughs> he's made some very interesting films. Um, but yeah, so I, I did like Villeneuve's Dune and I'm excited to see more of it. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, I'm glad, you know, the box office hasn't been great with it, but I, I think they kind of anticipated the box office wasn't going to be there. So I'm glad they greenlit part two and, and I'm sure, you know, they're going to, probably continue to green light anything Villeneuve wants because he's their auteur director that after Christopher Nolan left. So they need, uh, they need someone to, to take that mantle up that Nolan left behind with uh, moving on to universal. Who's whose movie was Dune? Which studio? A Warner brothers movie. Yeah. That, that place that broke the damn theatrical model. Yeah. Only broke the theatrical model for one year though, because we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I think no, I don't know. No, what I mean is, I have no doubts that they'll stick to theatrical to start from now on. Right. What I doubt is whether they spoiled the audience. Right, right, right. Okay, set a bad trend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, you're good point. Well, it's funny that you know HBO Max gets catches hell for it time and time again this year. No one has said anything about Paramount Plus or Peacock throwing movies or or even Disney Plus having, you know, like Luca, for instance, or other films out there that, you know, have gone to same day release, whether it be premiere access with Disney Plus or not. But see, Disney stopped in September. Yeah. And Paramount hasn't put out a decent movie all year. 
so nobody cares. I did watch Clifford the Big Red Dog with my wife, and I instantly regretted it. So and, <laughs> <laughs> it and, was, um, yeah. NBC Universal. I, th- the only thing I remember them, Universal. The only thing I remember for them is Boss Baby Two this year. But they also had Halloween Kills that came out on Peacock as well. So that was the another. You know me in horror. I know you. I know you in horror. <laughs> but that was that was one of those times where they said, "Screw it." I now I don't. I I'm pretty sure that it was still in a still had a theatrical release, but I'm not quite sure that it did. Um, but it it was surprise, and I don't think they really ever publicized that it was going to be on Peacock. I just remember you know, seeing it as it came out that day, oh, Halloween Kills is available. Not, not that I care because I don't care about horror movies, but I thought, well, you know, everybody gives hell for, you know, for HBO Max and, and what they've done. Now, I know that, you know, they're a studio that should know better with all these blockbusters that they've had. And of course, The Matrix Resurrection is coming out next month. And that's going to be another one of those where you can see it on HBO Max and Dune. But you know, I, I think this, this was a one-year kind of trial. It's gone. It's gonna. It's probably not gonna happen. Even if the pandemic gets even worse going into next year, I think they've committed that they're not going to do that. Now they are going to shorten up the release window for theatrical to streaming, but everybody's doing that at this point anyway. So I don't really blame anything on HBO Max for that. Eh. Eh. <laughs> Well, Paramount, I remember, now this was before they delayed the projects like for the 15th time, but I remember when Paramount Plus said uh, the new Mission Impossible film and Top Gun were going to be a 30, like a 30 day or a 45 day window. They were one of the first to say, we're going to truncate the window. We're definitely not doing 90 days. We're not even doing 60 days. Like it's usually the standard bearer these days. So they're the ones that kind of said, you know, we're going to punch everybody in the mouth with, you know, 30 or 45 days. And, you know, I mean, I don't blame them that they're just kicking off their streaming ser- or their new streaming service, I should say. But at the end of the day, they kind of set the trend a little bit there with that. Now, obviously, HBO Max took it to a whole nother level. But I don't mind, you know, like I will say this. I like the the day and date release for HBO Max for some of their movies. Like, if it hadn't been for the day and date release, I would have not probably seen Judas and the Black Messiah, okay? And I'm thankful that I saw that. But I don't think that it got an ultra-wide theatrical release around Sandusky. I probably would have had to drive to, like, you know, Westlake or, you know, Sheffield Village or something to watch it. So I was happy to not have to to make a long trip to watch that. So... I don't necessarily agree with it with Dune and the Matrix and, and even Space Jam, I guess, and King Richard. But, you know, it does give you an option to watch some of those movies that may or may not come to your area or may come to your area and go through the theater faster than The Last Duel. Now, I here's the weird part. I've tried watching those movies. I tried watching Dune for a second time Okay. on my television, and I yeah. could not do it. I couldn't do it. Right. Convenience be sense. damned. Yeah. Could not. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, I will say that I'm trending in, I want to watch the Matrix Resurrections in theaters, like for sure. But Dune kind of got away from me because it was around the, it came out around the time where I'm looking to move. I started a new job and I'm, you know, going back and forth. We're packing up stuff. We're trying to find place to live. So, it kind of got away from me to go to the theater on that. But The Matrix, definitely want to try to catch that in theaters, especially I think it's going to be an IMAX release as well. So it's How definitely... How do you watch The Matrix on a TV screen for the first time? How can anyone yeah. do that? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with my, my TV setup. I have a 75-inch Samsung, very beautiful 4K picture quality. But yeah, it does not compare to the theatrical options that are out there. No question about it. Don't do it. I won't do it. Yeah. All right, George. Well, um, it's Thanksgiving week. I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving at your house. We will see you next week for more movies, uh, hopefully, or maybe just to talk about movies or streaming or the day and date release or 
why Gladiator is not as good as everybody thinks it is, maybe. We'll see. But uh, we definitely wish everybody out there a happy <laughs> Thanksgiving and uh, thankful that uh, the football seasons are almost over for you. Uh, the Akron Zip season's over, uh, or will be over this week. Uh, Cleveland Browns are still plugging along here, but I'm sure getting a little bit more off your plate will be nice for you and hopefully free you up to see some more movies. Ah, well, the thing is, Akron Zips basketball has started. So <laughs> That's true. That is true. All right, George. Well, you take care of yourself. You guys have a great Thanksgiving there at the Thomas household. You can read everything that George writes at by George Thomas on his Twitter account. Um, he posts a lot of great articles. You read them on the Akron Beacon Journal or beaconjournal.com. So, George, we'll see you next week. All right. Take it easy. Take care.